And I said, God, they got an innocent man locked up because I'm a new person. Now, I know people argue, people might say that's crazy. You can't say that to God. That's what I did. And I'm telling you, to this, God is my witness. The next day, the Indiana State Appeals Court ordered that judge to give me and my wife a hearing. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 136 of the Between You and Me podcast. This is the place where we talk to music makers about the things that hurt, heal, and change us in the church. My name is Jess. I'm an Australian music journalist, and welcome to the new year. Now, I know we did have an episode with Daniel Mulkey earlier in the year, but there's been like a good month, right? And that's because there's been some big changes in my life and soon to be in Between You and Me world. I will have more details on that for you soon. But I am excited because today we have an extraordinary episode. This is someone called Billy Ballinger. I would say it's only been the last couple of years that Billy has become known in Christian music, right? He was on Winter Jam in 2020, which we know is like the biggest Christian festival out there and basically sort of means, yeah, you've made it in some way. But the thing about Billy is that he has been making music for decades. And the precursor to his start of making music was actually a lifetime of family trauma and addiction and prison. His story is incredible, not only because he survived it, but because he had such a sense of fortitude and perseverance through it, which he now shares basically daily with the world. I don't want to get too much into Billy's story with you here. The press release for Billy says it's like a movie script, but truly that's not an exaggeration. It really is. And what has actually come out of that is an amazing global ministry where Billy and his wife go into schools. They share their story. Uh, Both come from really challenging, difficult backgrounds, Um, but it's also resulted in some really honest Christian music. You see, when Billy sings about the power of God, you don't just go, well, that's nice. You go, oh my goodness, that man has been to prison and has faced addiction and has had friends die in front of him and he still believes that. How is that possible? This is a truly special episode because not only is Billy's music great, it's like it's Christian contemporary, it's anthemic, it's honest and it's powerful, but his lived experience just adds a level of authority to it that you just don't get anywhere else. New friends of the show, you're about to hear a bio, the who, what, when, where of Billy Ballinger. It's sort of your way of getting to know them before we jump straight into the conversation. Now you're also going to be hearing some of Billy's tracks through this episode, including his latest single, which actually released only a few days ago called Who Can God Use? So that's going to be the first track you hear, then we're going to zoom the whole way through My friends, sit back, get a cup of tea or coffee and enjoy this because this, this story is one for the ages. My friends, meet Billy Ballinger. It's one thing to sing about the transformational power of God. It's another to have lived it. And for Billy Ballinger, a Christian contemporary and worship artist, His life experience is the foundation of a global ministry 
that meets people of all ages and backgrounds to share his story of hope from a troubled childhood. Now, Billy's story in itself is phenomenal. We are talking an unknown adoption, a SWAT team, a drug bust, love found in juvenile incarceration and more. Now, I'll leave Billy to share this in his own words, but it's essential that you know this context before you hear his music, because while Billy had always dreamed of making music, he only began playing it when he was in prison. And on his release, he began making music, resulting in six full-length recordings over the past couple of decades. These coincided with the creation of he and wife Jody's ministry, Break the Grey Inc., allowing them to share their stories and music in hundreds of schools across Midwestern America and parts of Canada. And after travelling around the world to share his story, we're talking Russia and China, as well as multiple TV appearances, he found himself on Winter Jam Tour. That's right, the biggest Christian music festival there is. And with no label, no radio hits and no backing, his appearance on 31 dates across the US was truly miraculous. It was at this event that opened the door to the next phase of his music and ministry. Now, under the guidance and friendship of bands like Building 479 and New Song, Billy's music took on a new direction, and his 2020 EP, Walking on Waves, featured his 2018 single, Rise Up. Momentum was building, and in July 2021, he released the EP, Tree and the Nails, an EP full of anthemic and powerful songs detailing Billy's story that make biblical truths come to life. This EP featured songs like Leaving the 99 and resulted in an impressive collection of follow-up singles. All the while, Billy appeared on our friend Ryan Stevenson's podcast. He also appeared on The 700 Club, Live Today, 100 Huntley Street and in Home Life magazine. Now, with the release of his latest single, Who God Can Use, Billy showcases an effortlessly cool yet relatable acoustic anthem, inviting us to come home to a God who came for the outcasts. I spoke to Billy about his incredible story, the formation of his Tree and the Nails EP, and what it actually means to have a renewed mindset in Christ when you've experienced addiction. My friends, this is Billy Ballinger. Billy Ballinger, it is so lovely to meet you for the first time. Welcome to the Between Your Me podcast. Can you tell me who is Billy Ballinger for all us people who haven't met you before but luckily can today? Well, since it's warm in Australia, I wish I was Australian. No, uh, no, I'm a, I, first of all, thank you so much for letting me have a chance to share with you and your listeners and share my story that, that, that I have and God's given me. So I'm this kid from um, the Midwest, U.S., and um, adopted at age three. And uh, my, my biological parents could not I guess just deal being young teenage parents, you know. And uh, so I was adopted by my interesting story. I was adopted by my aunt and my uncle, but I didn't, but I didn't know it. Cause you know, when you're three years old, I mean, I don't, my, my wife says she can remember when she's two. I'm like, how do you remember when you're two? Your brain is not even fully developed yet. The earliest I can remember is four. But anyway, can check this out. I remember when I was five years old one time, my, my sister was babysitting me because mom and dad was gone from the house. And and she got really mad at me. And, and she said, you know what? You're just adopted. She Yeah. And I was like, what's adopted? I'm like four years old. And so, and, she's, and she said something I don't remember, but my mom came home and I said, hey, uh, Tammy said that I was adopted. So what exactly does that mean? You know, and I'm four. She literally, my mom sent me down and she said, I didn't give birth to you, but I, you are my son. I am your mom and you're in our family. And, and she, I said, well, who naturally, who is my real mom? And she said, um, 
she said, I'll tell you when you get older. So she wouldn't tell me who it was. I left it alone. And then believe this, at my 10th birthday party, it's me. It's not a big party. It's, it's, my, it's myself, my dad, my mom, my sister, Tammy. And I remember my grandmother was there. And I don't remember whether it was my idea for them to tell me who my real mom was at that moment or if it was their idea. Sounds In my memory, it seems like it was something I would have said, okay, it's my 10th birthday. I'm old enough now. Tell me who my mom and dad is, you know. Sure enough, they looked at me and they said, it's your Aunt Margaret. The one you think is your aunt is actually your mom. And so and I realized right at that moment, I was like, wait a minute. So you're not my mom. You're my aunt. And you're my uncle. And Tammy, you're not my sister. You're my cousin. And, of course, my grandma is still my grandma. But... <laughs> But that's what happened. So, but you know, really, I was raised in a, a very loving home. Um, th- there wasn't a, like it wasn't a party lifestyle and things like that. I wasn't really uh, discipled in Christ or anything like that as a little kid. But I was a good, solid home that where they loved me. And, you know, you couldn't say like like in my home, even though they didn't go to church, we had the big old we had this big white family Bible on the, on the table in the living room that nobody ever touched, you know, the one that you could blow dust off of. And I remember though, even though they didn't take me to church, you could never say God's name in vain in my house. My mom would just, you know, uh, she was just, uh, physically would just smack me in the mouth is what would happen if I said that. So anyway, but when I was 10 years old, I can remember the Baptist church, uh, coming by and saying, hey, we got a school bus or we got this bus coming, not school bus, we had a church bus coming by on Sundays and we would, if you have any children here, we'd like to pick them up and take them to Sunday school. And they took me, they came and picked me up on Sundays and took me to church. And so one of those days in church, I can remember uh, they said, we must have, they must have had a permission slip or something. So what they did was that they had a, um, they had a, uh, all of us kids go to church. They had us get back on the bus and then they drove us down to the fire station where the fire department was at down the street, pulled out all the fire trucks, set up a little, they had a little stage set up in the garage of the fire. This is such a brilliant idea, right? What little kid is not going to want to see fire trucks, especially this little kid. And um, so they took all those little kids in there. They had chairs set up in the garage of the fire department Fire, no fire trucks were in the garage. They set up a little stage and they got up and, 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 a, and a man got up on stage and he preached about Jesus Christ. And I was 10 years old. And I remember they asked a question, do you want to become a Christian? And at 10 years old, I said, yes. But I remember he said, well, you want it, he, he said, everybody bow your head, close your eyes. And so I remember doing that. I remember lifting my hand like I wanted to respond but then I kept looking around the room, around that garage to see if there was any little girls that see me with my hand up. So I put my hand back down, you know, then um, I w- but then I didn't go up there because he asked everybody then to if you got your hand up, you need to come up to the front. I was like, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. So I waited until everybody got on the bus to go back. And I'm in this. Imagine this little 10 year old little boy walking around the parking lot, kicking rocks around and just waiting, you know, so nobody will see me. And I'm the last person to get on the bus and I walk up and I grab him by his coat, grab that gentleman by his coat. And I said, Hey, I want to do what you said in there at 10 years old. And uh, that's how I got to know Jesus Christ the first time. 
Maybe you feel like all you do is make mistakes Maybe you think you're doing fine And everything's alright Maybe your daddy was a preacher Maybe you're a prodigal believer Maybe you think God's not on your side No matter where you are How cold or warm your heart How deep your wounds and scars From valleys to the stars He uses the humble But then right after that, that adoptive parents, they had struggles of their own, you know, they got a divorce. Then step parents, then they got both got remarried, then their step parents. Then I'm going back and forth. And it wasn't that they were tossing me back and forth. It's just I didn't like either place, you know. And so uh, really, I ended up I would just say that most of my childhood was was I was well taken care of those kinds of things. They had struggles. They got a divorce. Yes. But that wasn't the end of the world. Um you know, there was still going to be hope for me, but I really, for whatever reason, I didn't realize as a little kid that I had all this personality that was like stuffed down inside and had no place to, I had, I struggled to have community. So I went from a lot of different schools, but I couldn't seem to make friends. I mean, I had a few little friends here and there kind of a thing, but you know, I was that kid wanted to be popular, wanted it, wanted people to like me, but for whatever reason, I was the, the one that was laughed at made fun of. And it wasn't just a little bit. Everybody's made fun of a little growing up. You know, people joke with you. I mean, people just, some people, that's their way of showing some love. You know, they just want to kid around with you. It was deeper than that. It was something that, and it got down deep on the inside and it affected me and it caused me to act out. Well, then getting high for the first time at age 12 with my sister, I got high with her first time at age 12. But then I start running away and and drugs really, really weren't a part of the scene. Then at that time, but I'm running away back and forth. By the time I am 16 years old, I end up on probation for running away. And and then I end up being sent to what we call a juvenile correctional facility. And this is a Christian ran facility. It's been around now for about 175 years. And it's a campus. They got boys on one end of the campus but the cool thing was they had girls on the other end of the campus. <laughs> and so, and so, but they had sports and activities, but it was Christian ran. They had a choir and all those kinds of things. And ever since I was a little bitty kid, I wanted to do something musically. Like I can remember being on the, like the junior high choir and we even won a state championship, you know, and stuff. But it wasn't like I was some soloist or something like that. But I always dreamed about it. Those are the things you dream about that you just don't really tell too many people about. But I, let, me, let me add something real quick. When I was seven years old, this is a crazy story, but it's so true. Um, when I was seven years old in that little town I lived in in Indiana, I got all my friends together in my backyard, all three of them. <laughs> and I remember standing behind my dad's garage and he had a big pile of lumber. Just he collected this wood from wherever and it was a mess. And I remember telling my friends, I said, hey, guys, we're going to take that. And I don't even know where I got the idea from. I said, we're going to take that pile of wood. We're going to build a stage. And I said, we're going to have a band. And their eyes are like, 
their eyes are getting really big because none of us could play any instruments, you know. And in fact, the, the most I could do musically would be like act like somebody famous. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> dance around the house, dance around the living room, you know, in front of mom or dad or something. Act really cool for a relative that came over or something like that. I do remember there was a hit pop song that came out by an artist and I wrote all the words down at seven years old, wrote all the words down and took it to school and showed it to some girl and said, look what I wrote, you know, like as if I wrote this song. Legend. So, Legend. Yeah. See, just really just, um, I was dreaming, you know, and, and, uh, I think it's kind of, you know, cute now that I look about it, think about it, but this and this, I remember telling my friends, we're going to build a stage. We're going to have a band. Their eyes are really big. And I said, guess what guys, we're going to get up on the stage and sing and all the little girls are going to come watch us sing. So you can imagine this, this little kid's got girls on his mind constantly. And when I go to this juvenile correctional facility at age 16, I join the choir. I rededicate my heart to the Lord. You know, it was a Christian facility. They didn't try to cram it down your throat, but you could talk to somebody about Jesus while you're in there. I joined the choir and there's a girl in the choir because it was, this was a cool thing about choir. Not only you get to sing, it was co-ed. It was co-ed. So. And I meet this girl who later becomes my wife. Yeah, we got disagreements, separate ways that we see it. Can't change the places that we've been, but we can change where we're going. We get stuck on the difference, but there's not so much between us. Cause we both love, we both bleed, we both feel the need to win. And it's a thin line, but it feels like an Feels like on your side I'm leaving the 99 For the one that was left behind In the chaos, in the struggle I'm bringing peace in to the When I met this girl, I fell, you know, I fell in love with her. I was age 16. She was 15. And um, man, and I spent 15 months in there. She spent 14 months. Well, then we fall in love with each other. And they had a system in there that if you're on a good behavior, you can actually have a date with her. So we dated in the facility. It was like you'd go to the cafeteria and sit across from each other in the cafeteria and hold hands. And um, anyway... So we fall in love with each other. She gets released before I do by the court system, had her go back home. She's still a juvenile. She's still underage. I go back to where I'm from. I get released underage and nobody would take me to go see her. And so I'm in love, but I'm brokenhearted, you know, so I just, you know, I made a bad decision again. But uh, in, in some ways, it, it, it's, it's perfect for for when I write my book, right? Because it'll be like this romantic thing where yeah. I just... I just ran away and took off and ran away and found her. 
and went to her hometown, a town I'd never been to before. And here's the crazy thing. She was not raised to make right decisions. She, I had made some bad decisions, but this girl had what I, unbeknownst to me, had been on the street from age nine. She had been involved in drugs and sex and rock and roll and the streets of Cleveland, Ohio, the bad, bad neighborhood, and had just had some horrific uh, experiences already. Her boyfriend had been killed when she was 14 years old. She was in love with this guy and he was drinking and driving and he dies. She goes to juvenile. I mean, all these things she experienced. Her mom was a prostitute for a while. Um, and in fact, she's written about it. She has a book called Beautifully Unbroken, The Prostitute's Daughter. And um, it's really, that book has really been helping a lot of people because they see that, you know, there's somebody else that has came through that life and made it out. But what happened to us was, is for me, remember, I wanted community. She wanted out of that life, but we're in love. Her mom, her mom lets me move right in. I mean, lets me move right in the house. I mean, her mom argued with me. We argued back and forth, but she was just an easy pushover because that was the kind of life that they lived. Well, then I started partying. Then I started partying with her friends. Well, her friends accepted me because she was popular. Well, then uh, one day I became violent. Now, remember, I was, I don't know if I mentioned earlier, I was heavily bullied in these schools. I was picked on a lot. Okay, so physically I was heavily bullied as a kid. But when I turned 17, and here I'm living with Jody and around her friends, which were wild partiers, young people running the streets, something snapped on the inside. And that kid that I always wanted to be when I was little, as in popular, came out with a vengeance, with a vengeance. And, um, and I saw that they liked it or that they liked me, or I thought they did. And so it just fed into it more and that ego and that ego. And I started developing and working out and wanting a reputation in a town called Muncie, Indiana. And, and yeah, and that's what happened on that side of town. I became very dangerous, very violent, 17, 18, 18. When I was 18 years old, Jody was 17. Her name's Jody. We got married. Our daughter was born five months later. Her name is Mindy. Um, nine months later, our house is raided by a SWAT team. I was dealing in small amounts of marijuana, but stolen property, violence. My house had become the party house. I was just feeding my ego constantly on it. Yet I loved Jody. I loved my little girl, but I was just uh, really being a stupid young punk kid who wasn't taking care of his daughter properly. I had a flow of known felons in and out of my house, people that I, I wanted those you know, that camaraderie around me, whether it was good or bad. And that's what was happening. So, so though I had made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life as a little kid, the enemy had been working and laid a path for me that if I would go that route, and it was enticing, you know, it was destroying me. I mean, uh, stabbed, um, gosh, I've been beat up multiple, multiple times uh, with pool sticks, uh, just really dangerous, dangerous stuff that, that just story after story. By the age 19, the house is raided by a SWAT team. Jody's 18, I'm 19, at two in the afternoon. And uh, they arrested me. They arrested Jody. They took my little nine-month-old baby girl from me. And I always tell people now, I was like, they, they should have taken her. Because I had a flow of known felons in and out of the house, you know. Um, I will tell you that in some of those dark times when nobody was watching, nobody was listening, rough, rough patches. And it was rough because we didn't have anything. 
I mean, we were living that life, had a lot of people around us, but we didn't have anything. We just barely get enough money to party. You know, we weren't, we weren't big time dealers. We just, it's crazy that you think about our story and you think about, man, a SWAT team raided their house. Yes, they did. They, I had gotten involved in like a, a little bit of a turf war on the South side of Muncie, not only my house becoming the party house, all that violence. So the police just came in and arrested all of us, everybody. I mean, they just were trying to stop all the, the uh, senseless shootings that were taking place and they didn't want somebody to die. And that's what happened. And uh, when they came to my house, they were fully dressed in black from head to toe, black ski mask, black 12 gauge pump shotguns. Um, and this is crazy. Of all places to be arrested, I was in the bathtub when they raided my house. <laughs> and um, yes, that's funny. I know everybody. <laughs> so it's, it, that's the only thing that was funny as I look back now, but I, when I heard them coming in the house, I jumped up out of the water, threw my pants on real quick. That's why when somebody sees my mugshot, I'm just, you know, no shirt on because I just had my, my pants on when they arrested me. Sometimes I think I know where I'm going. Sometimes I think I'm completely lost. Because when you're low, down in the valley Well, it's hard to find any peace of mind at all It's been hard to keep on walking Through the storms that just won't cease Feeling lost in the middle of it Caught in the riddle of it Can't seem to rise above it They um, they take me out of that bathroom when they came when they came in the bathroom. I had just got my pants back on because I heard them coming in. I heard heard the house, the glass breaking. Jody was screaming. Her and my daughter were in the living room. We had just finished getting high just a few minutes before I went in there to to take a bath. It was such a a trashy little house that we lived in. We you know it was just we didn't have a shower. There wasn't no shower. It was a bathtub. It was uh, it was kind of crazy, you know. So people think, you know, Jody Jody's got a crazy story, and they hear my story, and I say, look, I didn't get to be bad for very long, but it shows you how quickly you can go downhill. And if you, whatever the plan, which I know God has good plans for all of us, all of our lives, and wants to use us, has a plan for all of us to do His work and, and live a good life. I believe that, but. We've all made mistakes and, and take different paths in life. Um, the sad thing is, is that some of our people don't make it. They, they don't they don't make it to the SWAT team right in their house. I mean, I got friends right now that I ran the street with that are dead right now. In the last two years, this month, well, in the past, I would say past 18 months, I've lost 
three friends. Uh, two of them were best friends of mine at one time. One of them was almost a best, I mean, really close. Uh, uh, two of them, uh, one of them was an overdose. I believe the second one was an overdose. The third one was shot in the chest last January. It's been, a, it'd be a year ago, shot in the chest by his cousin, my other friend, who's now in jail for murdering him for, for the charge of murder. And I look at that life and I go, I see how quickly a, a real purpose that we all have that we're never going to find out what that purpose is trying to figure it out on our own. We've got to realize first that there is a plan for our lives and we've got to dig in and, and pray and find out what it is and, and pursue that. Otherwise you will die or you will live. I think a, a just a, just a, a hellish life, you know, it's just not going to be something to write home about. It's going to be bad, you know, and, and, uh, but I will say this, I went to prison my wife went to prison, uh, lost custody of my baby girl. Thankfully, uh, they had her in foster care for just a little while. Ended up giving my daughter to my mom, thank God. My adopted, adopted mom, the mom that adopted me. So thankful for her. She's in heaven now. She passed away, but, but she did really good. She took care of her and uh, raised her while my wife and I was in prison. But when I went to prison, I rededicated my life to Jesus Christ. I'm talking, I dove in like head first, everything. I gave up everything. I said, that's it. I was so brokenhearted to be away from Jody and Mindy. Even though I had a tough guy image on the street, even though I, I had developed this ego, this mask that I wore this whole life, that wasn't really me. It was, it was a front. It was, it was feeding the flesh. It was, you know, it, it really wasn't giving me what I wanted. I thought it was. But then I really lost what was important. I lost my wife. I lost my daughter. Um, so we go to prison and I just, I really dive into the, my Bible reading, uh, studying, praying, talking to God all the time. And we were very lonely in there, obviously. Um, and then I start praying these scriptures. So I'm finding scriptures. I'm like, man, this is wild stuff. It says if I ask God, for this in the name of Jesus, he'll give it to me. So I started asking for my freedom. I wanted my wife back. I wanted my, I wanted my daughter back. I wanted my freedom. It got to the point, check this out. It got to the point where I was walking around the prison yard and I actually said to God, I said, God, you know, and I know I will never party again. I'll never be violent again. I won't return to any drugs again. Any, any of it. I said, I'm done. You know it. You know it. And I, and I actually knew it. And you can get to the point to where you can know that. And uh, I know it's hard for people to understand. They're like, well, I don't know. I hope so. You know, the inmates in prison, people in prison, like, or if they're in addictions or in a, a rehab, they're like, oh, my God, I just know I'm going to go back to it again. I must say right now to the listeners, here's here's how I here's how I want in that situation. And I'm not saying I've not been tempted We've all been tempted. That's just life. That's the Bible even teaches it. I had to. I had to get a new mind. Man, the Bible changed my mind. It changed what I wanted. Like it really changed my desires. So now, for me to go back to any of that life, it's. I say it's a temptation, but think about this. It's like sticking my hand in a rattlesnake's mouth. A poisonous 
snake's mouth. I'm not going to do it. And, um, and so you can get to that point. It's no, it's no, I'm not trying to judge or slam anybody that just keeps going around the same merry-go-round because there are other things in my life that I have went around the same merry-go-round about over and over. And, and you know that if you were to go to God and pray and ask for help from heaven and you went after it and you really wanted it and you fought for that and went after it, you'd get it. But the problem is, is a lot of times we just get enough help to satisfy to pacify what we're going through at the moment. And then, but see, when I was in prison, you know, there was no, that was the only help I had. You know, the judge said, you're not, we kept asking and praying to get out early. I think I, I mentioned that. And um, finally, after nearly two years of incarceration, the judge said, she said, uh, you're not going to get out. She said, you're going, to do all, you're going to do all your time. In fact, she told our lawyer, our attorney, she said, tell the Ballingers, Billy and Jody, tell the Ballingers they're not going to get out early. Don't waste the paper. Don't waste the ink. You're not going to get out early. You're going to do all your time. Now, listen, when I got the bad news that night, I went outside the prison yard because they had a track, like a recreation where you can walk around and get exercise. That's where I would pray at. And I walked around that prison yard and I said, God, and I was, tears were coming down my eyes because that's pretty bad news when you're like praying and praying and praying and praying. And you got all these Christians telling you that God's going to answer your prayer. It's all going to be all right. Your family's going to be restored, everything like that. And see, and by now my wife has given up on God. She's mad. At, she's mad at God in her prison. She's mad because she ain't got her daughter. She's like, I thought we were going to get out early and all that. So I said, God, I did not pray to that judge. I prayed to you. That's what I said to him. And then I reminded him of scriptures. I'm not I'm not saying bossing God around. I wasn't trying to do that, but I was I was being bold. I was that bold kid that was reminding dad, you promised, <laughs> you know, and I said, your word says, if any man is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anybody is in Jesus, he is a new person. And I said, God, they got an innocent man locked up because I'm a new person. Now, I know people argue, people might say that's crazy. You can't say that to God. That's what I did. And I'm telling you, to this, God is my witness. The next day, the Indiana State appeals court ordered that judge to give me and my wife a hearing. You got trouble weighing heavy like a stone upon your shoulder and you're shaking like a leaf now waiting for it to blow over. He can change everything.
Less than two months after that day, they came to pick me up at the prison. When they come to see when God gets involved, when it rains, it pours with God. You know, I don't know. It's like it just seems like there's those times when you get in a flow with God and it's like one thing after another. It just seems like miracles are happening, you know. And I'm not saying it's always seemed like that, but in this case it did. When they came to the prison to pick me up, my wife was in the sheriff's car. They had went to her prison, picked her up first in the same vehicle, and then came and picked me up at my prison. Now, they didn't have to do that. They could have sent two different cars, whatever. And so we hadn't seen each other in in all that time. And, of course, we're getting to ride together, of course, and then go to court together. And when we went to court that day, the judge uh, released us that day. So we go home that day. Yep. And then we drive. I got this part. So they wouldn't allow any cameras, you know, any you couldn't take video or anything in the courthouse. But as soon as we got into the car, we did. So I have video footage of us in the car. The the moment we were released and then we drive about an hour and a half to go to my mom's house. Now, I say it wasn't our car. My mom actually picked us up and drove us to her house where my grandmother was waiting with my little girl. Yeah, and we have that footage too. We have the, the actual footage of us walking up and picking her up out of a, a high chair, like a chair they had built. For my, my stepfather, was a, he did a lot of woodworking, and he made this special chair for her to sit up at the table and eat, and that's what she was at the table when we got there, and we picked her up. Now, she had to stay with my mom, but we could have visitation. Less than two months after being released from prison, we were granted full custody. Full custody. No strings attached, no counseling, no, not one counseling session, nothing. Full custody back, no strings attached. Didn't even have to go to court. All we had to do was sign papers. That was it. And got full custody of our baby girl. I know, and we, we never lost her again, never. And I mean, I never returned to drugs. To God be the glory for all this. Marriage, our marriage stayed intact. We had uh, about a year later, my son was born. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's just like God has been so good to, to us. And and I know there are people listening because, you know, I've, I've shared this story with a lot of people and you've shared a lot. And I know people hear this and if they're going through something, it's hard for them to connect right now. It's like, yeah, well, I wish. I only wish that could happen for me, but I've got it. And they just see themselves as has it having to go through all this hard struggle to get to that point. But I want us to remember there is something important about a human being that will be willing to believe God. Uh, have an expectancy, pray to him, be willing to ask for something that you don't even think you deserve because it doesn't matter. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. I mean, none of us deserve it and be willing to do that and then watch him work. Because I think that's why you don't have, you, there is a lot that God does and you, see, you hear about a lot of miracles, but we would hear about a lot more if people would ask and believe. And that's what this guy was doing. That's what I was doing. I was asking and believing. And uh, I wouldn't let nobody tell me I wasn't getting out of prison. 
I would let nobody convince me that I wasn't getting out early. Uh, prison inmates, uh, Bible study people in the prison. But you know what's funny? I would go back later to speak in the prison. And they'd have me back to speak to the same guys, right? And I would, they would introduce me, and they would introduce me as the, the Bible study, uh, the people that would come in to hold church in the prison. They would say, as we're going to introduce this young man to come up and speak, we want, we just want to let you guys know that he used to tell us all the time that he was free and that he was going to go home early and all this. And then that's what happened. That's what happened. So I, I really am living a blessed life. Um, but just like every, just like yourself and every individual, I think that um, it's, it's just important for us to encourage people that you can make the connection with God. It starts with belief, call upon, calling upon the name of his son. And, um, and, you know, my wife and I now, you know, People don't realize this. I've been married 35 years now. My son has grown. My daughter has grown. I never lost custody again. I never went back to prison except to speak and help other people. I'm living my dream recording music that that little seven-year-old kid had a dream of doing. I mean, and it's only getting bigger. And I think it's, it's an opportunity and a platform like you have to be able to use your platform to bring hope to people, to tell them there is hope. So anyway, I could talk for hours about oh. this, but oh, no, I love that. I and I so appreciate that you're so willing to share your story. I know that you that you share it a lot, um, but it's still something so powerful and sacred every time that you choose to share it because you don't have to. Um, yeah, and thank you. I'm I'm really grateful. Thank you for sharing that with me. Um, oh, there's I I have questions, and I'm like, there's just so much here. I. I'm just awed by how good God is and how hard you and your wife have worked through all of this. Um, I'm, I have questions about music, but my first, I actually really curious, like very clearly you, when you, you went through prison and you got out, like clearly there was a huge shift for you in your mindset and your lifestyle. Um, There's no denying that, but, was there a point where you had to work through the shame of your past or your past decisions? Like, is that something that you have to work through today or is that something that you have learned to leave behind? Because I know, like for me, very different life circumstances, there's still parts of me that feel like I'm defined by my past, even though I know I'm not in, in, my, in God's reality. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would like to speak to that. Thanks for asking me that question because I would say – I would say for many, many years, I wouldn't say it was something that I, I had to like work through over a period of time. I would say for me, I think because what I was saying earlier about my, I changed my mind. I, okay, so I, I call it saturation. So I saturated my mind with God's word. So in prison, in that situation, I was like in a cocoon, right? And, and there wasn't a lot of other, there is distractions, but not a lot, like, especially now, which you would have. Um, I would say this, though. I spent years really not dealing with any, or having to deal with any shame of the past or anything like that. It just really didn't crop up. But you know what? Since you say that, just this year, I, I released a song one year ago this month called Mercy. 
and um, and I released a uh, like a bio music video with it um, with this song. And it's ironic that I released that song. I know God touched it, touched the writing and the people that were involved in that and touched that song. And I said, oh, my gosh, that song is so powerful. I knew God did that. But then here I found myself this year dealing. It's crazy. Like it was attacking me. Like my mindset of my past and shame and all this stuff that I hadn't even thought about for years that I knew a long time ago that I had repented for. Or sometimes we also, if you if you don't watch it, you could be carrying shame for something that you didn't even do. I mean, that's quite often people that people that happens to people, and then as a result, uh, they start making decisions based on that shame as if that's really them, then it destroys lives. But uh, as for me, just this year, yeah, I'm glad you asked me that question because I was just in a speaking at a, or I had a concert in Florida and I just told him, I said, it's funny, I released this music song, this, this song and, and this music video this year and you think I have all the answers, but it, it came hard at me. So I say that only to say that I believe Jesus bore our shame. It says in the scriptures, he bore our shame. He took our shame. So we don't have to be ashamed. But it's always going to be all your life a decision to believe it. You have to make the decision to believe it. Now, the more time I, this is for me personally. Well, I believe it would be for every every Christian, but everybody has to decide this on their own. Every human being has to decide this on their own. I just believe that if we would listen to God, meditate in his word as he tells us. In Joshua, it says, my wife and I were just reading this this morning. It says, if you'll meditate in his word, you would observe yourself doing it. It would cause you to have good success. It would cause you to deal wisely in the affairs of life. It, it just changes your mind. I mean, shame would be like, what? Get out of here. I don't, I don't, you'd just be brushing it off like it was a, a pest, you know. But what happens is, is that if you don't watch it, you renew your mind to something else other than God. You renew your mind to the lies and you focus on that. Guess what happens? You observe it. And it, that gifting that God put in every human being to be able to meditate, to be able to see yourself doing his will, is now being perverted and we're listening to the lies of the enemy. We feel so much guilt and shame that we've actually been set free from in Jesus. I mean, so I was experiencing that a lot this year for whatever reason. I, I looked at it like, okay, well, for one thing, Billy, get yourself back in the word. You know, your tank is low, your fuel's low, you're giving out a lot, whatever. Uh, the point is, is that regardless of what I feel about it, it says in Romans chapter 12, it says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by renewing your, of your mind. So making your mind new that you may prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And I know this, that when I am saturated in his word, the enemy doesn't stand a chance bringing that old garbage up to me that Jesus has wiped away. Whether it's shame that I caused or shame that somebody uh, caused upon me, 
Thank you. Thank you for sharing it. It's, and it's one thing to share something that happens in your past. It's another thing to share something that you're like living through and has happened in the last year. So thank you. I know I keep saying that, but that's always a big thing. Um, even what you're saying about transforming your mind, God has been talking to me about that in the last like six months and even um, the armor of God that we put on and the helmet of salvation and how that works with the transforming and renewing of your mind. So I really... Yeah appreciated that for me it's an, it's another good reminder keep going back to it keep going back to it um because yep. i yeah i in many ways i resonate with that yeah. you know i if i may say this um about two weeks ago i spoke um at a men's prayer breakfast thing okay so what i didn't know is that when i got there they were going to have they brought in a whole these men that were living in these houses recovery houses like christian ran like places where they're getting free. They're getting free from addiction and everything. And they come in there. And this is my audience that morning. And I said to them, I said, I'm going to tell you right now. I said, I can look at my life since I got out of prison. And if I could draw it out, draw, draw like a graph of my life, uh, the ups and the downs in my life. I said, now look, I'm not trying to say that we all don't have circumstances that because we know adversity comes in everybody. We're in this world. It's crazy. God did not intend for it to be crazy, but the enemy is rampant in this world, and he's out to destroy, still kill and destroy. We know that. And I just told these guys, I said, look, I'm not saying you don't have no adversity, but I am saying this. I can tell you that these victories and these defeats that would be in this graph since I've been released from prison in my life, um, I will tell you that I was trying, I was trying to point out to them that I could show them where my word, uh, okay. Where my mind was not being renewed. I mean, because, because I don't know. Okay. So let's say you have a worry, a fear an attack, anxiety, uh, depression, fear, shame, bondage you can't get free and it's it's like this battle in your mind it is overwhelming if your mind's not renewed but if your mind is renewed again it's like what's that you just you just brush it off it's like you really respond that way and people's you know people may say that's arrogant uh, who do you think you are only god can do that well it is god helping you right you just said a minute ago 
put on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation. This is armor that is not cheap. <laughs> it's not weak. We got a, a breastplate, a sword. Um, our feet have a certain shoe on them that's that's because of the gospel. Um, and it's good news. We got a shield. We got a breastplate, the helmet. Um, I like what, listen to this. I heard this one preacher say this. This is so cool. He said, when you put the armor on, take the faceplate on the helmet and pull it down. He said, if you do that, the enemy won't know that you're not God. I mean, it, he, he will not know who's behind that armor. Because why? Because the scripture says it's God's armor. So what would happen if we put God's armor on all the time? Wow. You know, I never I, thought of it like that. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, because yeah. he can't. So, I mean, but anyway, I, I'm so also thankful for God's mercy because there are some days I'm not talking about living in a works mentality because I know how I can get into that, too, to where I'm like, that's not it's, there's something different. This is the best way I can describe it. My wife and I, we talk about this all the time. I call it being in the river and flowing with the river of God or somehow you climbed out of the water up on the bank and you're running the same direction. You're trying to get to the same direction, but you're not even in the water anymore. You're just running. And you, you're trying to figure out where in the world did I get out of the water? You know, and that's where we have forgiveness, mercy, you know, so I'm grateful. God's got us all covered all the way around if we'll just keep trusting Him for it. so generous with your time i want to ask quickly about your music um so how did the transition happen from you are obviously you've lived a lifetime since your release from prison you start sharing your story where does music come into that 
like when did you get up the guts and the courage to say I'm going to become the musician that I dreamed of becoming when I was seven how did that happen for you yeah 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 so when I got out of prison uh, I actually wrote wrote a song first one when I was in prison with another inmate I did a little bit of singing in there in the in, in the church kind of a thing but nothing it wasn't like the forefront. It wasn't the thing that was going to happen. I didn't know about it. Then I get out of prison and I do work in nursing homes. I think I'm a preacher. I'm like, I'm a preacher. That's what I'm going to do. I did join a praise team in a church, sang a couple specials in there. Uh, ironically, me and a friend that played keyboard in the church, uh, we would go to the church and we would at night and then stay there past midnight rehearsing songs that there was no schedule to go sing them anywhere. Maybe just in that church or whatever, just over and over and over, we would do that. And, uh, and then I did prison ministry uh, with uh, Prison Fellowship, Chuck Colson's ministry. I did that. I would even take other bands with me into the prison so that they could perform and I could speak. Um, I'd sing a special every now and then. Like I said, I became a worship pastor. And then it was in 2001 that I just started getting this desire to record and I started praying into that and asking God, should I do it? Uh, I will tell you, and this will really help. I know this will help some of the listeners. There's a scripture in Psalms 37, four that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to him and he will bring it to pass. So I really believe that that's the way that the Lord directs the steps that I should take by the desire that he puts in my heart. And if it's not, if it's not illegal, if it's not unbiblical, if it's not, you know, if it's not immoral, uh, it's probably God, (laughs) you know? So I have this desire to record and I'm in Branson, Missouri. And I remember praying and walking around this huge parking lot of this theater out there and just praying and praying and asking God, do you want me to record? Do you want me to record? Do you want me to record? When I got done praying, I didn't hear thunder or I didn't hear this booming voice from heaven, but I had the same desire that I had when I started. And so I said this to God, I said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to record music. If I mess this all up, if I'm on the wrong path, I need you to get me back on the right path. That's when I started recording. So I did this uh, professionally, went full time the next year, uh, speaking and doing music. Yeah, my wife with the support of my wife. And, um, and you know, I would get, often I would get opportunities that were, quote, some big platforms. But they were, they were few and far between. So in between all that, I just kept doing it. I just kept going. Uh, the Lord led me and my wife to start a ministry that would go into public schools in the U.S. And so for f- so over 15 years, we shared our story in public schools. Now, we, sh- we couldn't share the gospel. We had to share it without saying Jesus. And so we did that, but we would bring in major production. We, I'm talking major production into their school at night. And if they came back, then we could share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I kept doing that. And then in 2017, I literally, and this will, I'm sure there's a listener out there that's dealt with this. In 2017, I was praying and I said, God, it wasn't the first time that I asked this question, but I just felt like I wanted to ask him, do you want me to keep singing? Because I had, I've been hitting the ceiling. Like it was like, 
you know, for all these years, I was still doing it, but I was like, I, I know there's a higher place to go with it, but I'm not, I'm just not getting there, you know? And, um, and I felt like the Lord said, uh, I just felt like if, if I could put words to what he was speaking to me at that time, his answer was, well, that's a stupid question. Why would you ask me that? <laughs> so, so, um, that's how I, that's how I interpreted it. And, you know, Right then, I started praying, asking God to give me the right producer, uh, connect me the right way. By 2019, I received the offer to, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Winter Jam. Yeah. That is, yeah, Winter Jam. So America's uh, largest Christian concert tour. I received the opportunity to take a contract without a record label. Wow. To be one of the artists on Winter Jam. I know. It's like, what? And... I knew God was doing something because I had just prayed this two years before and I started, <laughs> yes. I started recording differently. I was recording on a higher level. I was doing a lot of things different prior to that opportunity. Winter Jam was not something that I pursued. It wasn't, it, I mean, it wasn't something that I even knew was available. It came available. It was God. That's what happened. So, so here I end up uh, on Winter Jam. Uh, it was miraculous that I was there. My wife released her, her, her first book. Uh, went right to number one on Amazon when she released it, and she it was our yeah it was our story, and we got to share that on the Winter Jam tour plus my music. I met some amazing people on that tour, man, and it was just godly connection after connection after connection after connection. Uh, Building four twenty nine took me underneath their wing and really began to work with me as I got off of Winter Jam, um, and we were back in the studio. You know, it's funny. I was going on Winter Jam and I, I didn't have a single on the radio. Nothing. Nothing. So can you imagine? I've been full time for almost 20 years. I've been recording almost 20 years. This little seven year old little kid. Right. So if anybody's listening right now and you think that you're two weeks, you've been waiting for two weeks for it to happen. And it hasn't <laughs> happened. Try 20 years. All right. So. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying, just don't give up. Really, is the point. Um, I'm not trying to act like it was uh, some some tough guy for standing for 20 years. That was really a God thing. I just really always had the desire to do it. Let God use the music. It's always been music with a message. I just did it anyway. I did it anyway before Winter Jam. I was doing it anyway. But definitely, some huge doors have opened since then. So, um, and uh, sure enough, 2020 pandemic, everything. Uh, I get the I get back in the studio working with Jason Roy, lead singer of Building 429, and uh, we come out with a, a new EP. I released it in early 2021. My single off of that was uh, Tree in the Nails. There it is. Uh, 20 years later, from the time I recorded my first record, Tree in the Nails went to radio, my very first song to ever be played on the radio. And then one year ago this month, it was Mercy. Yep. And then I just had then I just had two Christmas songs just get the most ads that I've had on radio thus far. Yeah, it's like and so but you know what? Truly, my heart is this. Uh, I love all that. I, I really do. I mean, I, I, that's a win. I think that's a win. That's a win for God. You know, uh, it's 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 exciting to see because, you know, just like you, you know, for the Lord to have people listen to him having you, you know, 
start your podcast and do all these things that you do. You see God working in it. But then once you see him working in it, then you're like asking the questions, okay, what's all this for? You know, there's got to be deeper than, than my name being on a song. It's got to be deeper than that. So that's always kind of been me. It's always been my thing. I get excited when we have success with the music. But um, anyway, I just, uh, I just think that it, we should all want to go deeper and find out what God wants to do with all of it. stuff that we talked about here today that's the meat of christianity is is renewing our minds i mean i constantly hear the holy spirit say you know you could really be spending this time with me right now and i'll be like yeah but you know what i mean but isn't that like the disciples you know it's no excuse for not seeking God with all of our heart, but there, he covered everything. He covered everything. You know, and I'm getting ready to do, um, we're just kicking off a new tour. A lot of groups have already started their preparations for their tours in 2023. I just finished. In fact, I've got two shows left on this tour, that one I'm doing this weekend and another end of the month on this tour. And then I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to, I mean, we're just gearing up again to do it again. And um, I got salvation on my mind. Like the temperature for evangelism is heating up because I don't really, maybe maybe I've not been listening, but I don't really hear enough talk about accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And I'm like, I don't know. That's really dangerous because once your decisions are made, you leave this body determines your destination. And uh, I'm like, man, heaven is real. Hell is real. And God provided a way of salvation to save us out of that. And I just think that, so anyway, I'm getting ready to do a, um, an, another tour with destiny rescue oh, awesome. an organization that yeah. fights human trafficking. Yeah. And, um, we just, they were our sponsor this year and we just agreed to another tour. And so we're going to get to rescue kids but I get to share about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm excited. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get to make my way to Australia. 
whole lot to say once you've met Billy Ballinger apart from wow uh and also I was so struck by trying to find the right words for it Billy had such a sense of having a solid foundation a real like unyielding knowing of who God is and who he is and what God has asked him to do it was very clear without uh, with, without being, like, overwhelming. Like, Billy has lived through so much, has seen so much, has heard stories from so many people and had his own, and yet every day he chooses to show up and still share his story, which he could be shamed for, but instead he shares it because he knows that it can help people. Um, I don't have many other words than that. All that to say is, for me storytelling is sacred sharing your story is so sacred and holy it's how we meet someone that's how we meet the other Jesus did it all the time and for Billy to choose to share his story today on this podcast I I don't want to diminish how important that is because even though he's chosen to share his story a hundred other times, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other times, that actual meeting of like the meeting of souls where you go, this is my story, this is the reality of who I am. So you can, in his case, like see how God met him in that. There's something so profound in that. It's, it's something sacred and holy that the Holy Spirit uses that I can't put my finger on, but I know that God uses it to change hearts and minds and to shift culture. And I think what you heard today from Billy is that. You heard his story and there's so much power in that because God is in that. I don't really have any takeaways because this isn't a devotional, but I think he probably gave you a few. And um, his thoughts about having a renewed mindset for me were so affirming but also really challenging. So, Billy, I want to say thank you. Thank you for every day just like stepping out and pushing and dealing with self-doubt and sharing your story and for your family as a whole, you're doing this together. I think you guys are just incredible and it was such an honour to have you on the podcast and to call you friends, so thank you. Now, friends, it goes without saying, you want to connect with Billy online, right? Yes, you do. You can find him on Instagram at Billy Ballinger Music. That's Billy and then B-A-L-L-E-N-G-E-R Music. You'll also find him on the web at BillyBallinger.com. Now, links to Billy's latest EP, The Tree and the Nails, is in the show notes. You can also find a link to his latest single, Who God Can Use, as well. Go stream it, go love it, and go tell Billy what his story meant to you. 
it's just my mind is still like we, we did that interview a month ago and my mind is still just trying to fathom that honestly now I did say that I had some news for you and that is that this year between you and me is going to look a little bit different. Now I can't tell you exactly what that means yet, which is like, why are you sharing this news, Jessica? But as of this week, I actually finished up doing my part-time work that I was doing at a nonprofit and have jumped into full-time freelance journalism work with the hope and some faith that I'll be able to pour some more time into this podcast uh, and into Between You and Me projects and possibly a book. This is all still really new and fresh, but I am excited. And I'm excited to be able to bring you some episodes more regularly, to share important stories, and to really hone in on some important topics that I've wanted to over the years but haven't had the capacity to do. So I'd like to say, if you pray, please be praying for me and for this podcast and how God wants to use it and the stories that he wants to tell through it. That would be awesome. Um, and if you don't, cool. I'd still love you to keep listening. Thank you for your support. It's awesome. Friends, you can find us on social media at Between You Me Pod. You can also find us on all podcasting platforms to search the Between You and Me podcast. And while you're there, please consider giving us a five-star rating. It helps people to find us. All right, that's all I have. Thank you so much for your time, friends. I will see you for our next episode coming very shortly. My name is Jessica Morris. Here's to hope.
get old, there's three things that you let go. Uh, one's the mind, one's the hair. I don't I can still hear you laugh, your voice, that lazy Sunday tea.